The year was 1870-something. Gowns to the floor, covered in lace, were all the rage and paired nicely with updos and extravagant brimmed hats. The U.S. had entered into a post-Civil War era. Labor strikes began to break out, demanding better working conditions and wages. And, interestingly enough, Americans across the country were worried about rabies. Although now, rabies may seem like only a concern for those bitten by feral animals in remote areas, this rabies hysteria was pre-rabies vaccine and pre-modern medicine, really. Rabies was becoming a concern for dog owners, especially those in urban centers. American physicians had little scientific knowledge to explain the transmission of the virus, but theorized that certain breeds may be responsible. Enter the Spitz. The Spitz was a small, white, fluffy dog that was popular among German immigrants. Doctors believe the alleged disproportionate cases of rabid spits in New York City could be linked to the size and shape of the dog. Other doctors jumped on the bandwagon, filling medical journals with negative traits of the dog, such as them being useless and snappish, and warned that the dog was uniquely susceptible to rabies. Quickly, the negative image of the spits snowballed. They were labeled dangerous pets, venomous beasts, and were even declared as being more dangerous than a copperhead by the New York Times. The press even began to turn on spits owners, claiming they lacked the qualities to gain the respect of better breeds. With the support of medical professionals and the press, an anti-Spitz attack ensued. Any dog that resembled a Spitz in New York was collected by dog catchers who shot, drowned, or clubbed them to death. Owners of Spitzes abandoned their dog or killed them before the dog catchers got to them. They were painted as untrustworthy animals that could turn on their owners in an instant. Worst of all, the public seemed to find joy in it. Newspapers seemed to relish in the slaughter of this breed, as if battling a foreign enemy. With the defeat of the Spitz flaming in the public's eyes, 1878 Long Branch, New Jersey implemented the first formal breed ban on the Spitz. Shortly after, scientists discovered that the rabies virus could infect any mammal if they were bitten by a carrier, not just the Spitz. Welcome to Pitbulls Unleashed. Cleo, speak! Good girl! Although the Spitz is remembered as one of the first breeds to fall out of favor with Americans, it would not be the last. During World War I, Dachshunds had become the new stereotypical German dog, and therefore an outlet for American anger towards Germany. Political drawings in America and England displayed Dachshunds in spiked Pickelhoba helmets, and were often shown marching behind the Kaiser. Dachshunds were even strangled and crushed by American symbols on postcards by Bernhardt Wall, paired with breed-targeting captions such as, I like dogs, but not this breed. In the art world, Dachshunds became the symbol of the enemy. This disdain for Dachshunds seeped out of political drawings and into the general public. A mayor in Ohio reportedly shot a Dachshund for being German, while in another city, dachshunds were being driven off of the streets. Even across the pond, dachshund owners in London feared taking their dogs out in public where the dogs could be kicked, beaten, or even stoned. Antagonizing dachshunds even became a popular pastime among some children. 
Given the opinions of the public, registrations of dachshunds with the American Kennel Club dropped significantly. After World War I, the anger towards dachshunds dissipated, and other German dogs even rose to popularity. In the 1910s, Americans adopted German shepherds as guard dogs, a popular mode of protection for families and property. At the time, people viewed them as elite and essential. Young women even used them on outings as trendy and exclusive guards. However, as Americans moved into the Roaring Twenties, the shininess of German Shepherds wore off, and young women didn't pair them with flapper outfits or trips to speakeasies. The dogs became overpopulated, and the supply was much larger than the demand. Dogs that were once trained to defend property at all costs were now loose in the streets. Reports of bite injuries became more common, and the language used by the media grew severe, placing negative connotations on the breed itself. The same media hysteria surrounding the Spitz could now be seen with German Shepherds. Animal control officers began to shoot them in the streets. German Shepherds attacked swaths of livestock, and a few stories broke of their involvement in child fatalities. Police officers even killed some dogs for guarding illegal liquor statues during the Prohibition and for associating with the mob. Exaggerated stories portraying the dog with almost supernatural strength and resistance became common and AKC registration of the German Shepherd plummeted. However, the tides dramatically turned. Police began adopting German Shepherds as police dogs to promote public safety, giving the dogs a more respectable and noble reputation. They also became popular in Hollywood, appearing in film. Two German Shepherds became superstars across the nation. Even the wealthy took favor with the dogs again, and popularity with the elite ensured a positive reputation for the dogs. The Spitz, Dachshund, and German Shepherd are not alone in these vicious trends. The same negative associations with breeds can be observed among Dobermans in the 1960s, St. Bernards in the 1970s, and Rottweilers in the 80s and 90s. When I sat down with Robert Hensley, the ASPCA's Legal Advocacy Senior Counsel, he commented on these trends. Things have certainly changed over time, and... What history shows is that if you ban one breed, another is going to rise in popularity to take its place. Mm -hmm. um, the public's perception as to which dogs are dangerous has changed and unfortunately expanded over time. Mm -hmm. German Shepherds, Rottweilers, Doberman Pinschers were among the first dogs subject to breed discriminatory policies. Um, and pit bull type dogs have become a target of breed bans and other discrimination. One of the most common misconceptions about pit bulls is that the term is monolithic, but it actually encompasses several different recognized breeds. While the first one that comes to mind may be the American pit bull terrier, the term actually stretches beyond that. Here is Nina Thompson, Interim Director of Marketing and Communications at San Diego Humane Society, to tell us more. So my interactions with pit bulls have been very positive. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, I just want to clarify, because pit bulls aren't a breed. It's a right. similar breed. Mm -hmm. So they include American pit bull carriers, American Staffordshire carriers, Staffordshire bull carriers, and other bully types. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of a mix of breeds. Right. Um, it's a big so, umbrella term. 
It is, yeah. And so there's no evidence to support that these dogs are, you know, any particular way. You know, a lot of the times they get um, labeled as aggressive, but there's no evidence to support that these dogs are uh, aggressive. So most well-raised and well-trained pit bulls are actually really sweet, loving, friendly pet mm-hmm. pets. And the problem is that pit bulls have an appeal for some people who have raised them to fight, guard, and attack. Mm. Um, so it's, it's not the dog's fault. It's no more their fault than, you know, for example, training a Doberman pincher to guard an estate. So mm-hmm. um, add that to an equation of, you know, lack of socialization in the wrong hands. And that's where sometimes, you know, they get labeled as problem dogs. But they're really not. They're wonderful dogs. Nina works at the San Diego Humane Society, a staple open admission shelter in San Diego County. San Diego seems to be a hub for pit bulls, something I've noticed growing up here. They have also always been a hot topic of debate, at least from what I can remember. Stark love-hate opinions about pit bulls clash here. One second you could be walking next to the shoreline and pass by a dozen pits, The next, you could be cussed out by a stranger at a dog park because your rescue resembles a pit bull. So where do these opinions come from? And more importantly, where does this passion come from? Why did this stranger want my Sharpe lab mix to leave the dog park so badly? And why do pit bull owners defend this breed so fiercely? I spoke with Jenna Chandler and Brian Jackson, two pit bull owners in San Diego residents, to hear about their experience with their dogs and reactions from the public. So to start off, could you please introduce yourself? So my name is Jenna Chandler, and I am from San Diego. Perfect. And so uh, as a pit bull owner, where did you originally get your pit bull? I originally got my dog from the San Diego Humane Society. Amazing. So when you went to the Humane Society and you were looking for a dog, did you have preferences about breed type or were you mainly looking uh, at the individual dogs? Um, Actually, my mom and I went because we had just put our boxer to sleep Mm -hmm. and my mom was kind of dog deprived. So we would go down and just walk through the Humane Society and like play with the dogs Mm -hmm. and sleep with them and that kind of thing just because my mom, you can hear my dog in the background. Uh, (laughs) I um, my mom was just kind of very dog deprived. So we weren't actually looking when we went down to get her. Oh, Um, interesting. But as we were walking through, there were so many pit bulls and I've always loved them. Um, I've Mm -hmm. always been a breed. And so we were walking through and we ended up like walking to the cage that my dog was in and I saw her and I have no idea what it was, but I looked at my mom and I was like, mom, this is my dog. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was after that, it was just full speed ahead. And we ended up (laughs) days later. So That's amazing. It's interesting. You talk about just uh, going to the Humane Society to kind of just be around dogs and interact with dogs, because I remember that being in my childhood as well. Like some days we would just decide to go um, and just go look at the dogs and have that kind of interaction with them. I don't know. I I guess that's uh, the the Humane Society is kind of a big staple in San Diego, but I remember like having that experience as well. Yeah, exactly. It's funny growing up in a like animal family, how often that was just kind of a family outing. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Um, so you talked about uh, 
being um, kind of passionate about pit bulls and um, loving uh, those breeds in particular. Uh, so what was your perception of pit bulls growing up and has that changed over time or have you always kind of had the same perspective towards those breeds? Um, I think it's definitely gotten better over time. I don't think I've ever bought into like the type of bias around the breed, which I'm really, really grateful for. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up watching Pitbulls and Pearlies. That was like my favorite show as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and ever since then, like I just kind of realized that it was a very misunderstood breed and that they actually are fantastic dogs um, and that they just get a really bad reputation because of owners and bad training and um, because of the way that they've been taken advantage of. And that obviously doesn't fall in the breed. So mm -hmm. I was really, really lucky that I kind of got that perspective when I was a little kid and kind of grew up, um, continuing to hold that kind of positive outlook on the fact that they were just very misunderstood um, and that you get them in the right circumstances and they can thrive and flourish and be fantastic pets. Um, so I think as I've gotten older and been around more and more pit bulls and actually owned one, I think it's obviously become more and more positive. I'm a huge fan of the breed. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely think it's been nice that I've always kind of maintained that good outlook on what the breed is like rather than those biases. Right. You've had a lot of positive, not only uh, positive views of it in the media introduced into your life, but also personal interactions with the breed that's created this really positive experience instead of yeah. uh, feeding into kind of negative biases that will come through in other ways. Yes, exactly. So how would you describe your dog? My dog is the sweetest thing. I love her so much. She is a little bit shy when you first get her out in public, but as soon as she opens up, she is the most lovable, gentle, wouldn't hurt a fly. Like she mm -hmm. loves to play. She's super, super energetic. She's, but she knows when to turn off the energy and just kind of chill out. And she lays on my bed yeah. with me all day and watches movies and all that kind of stuff. So she's, she's been the perfect family dog. She's a great combination of like that energy when I'm you know, excited and want to go for a run or something or just wanting to chill out and lay and watch a movie or whatever. So she's, mm -hmm. she's a great family dog. That's awesome. It sounds like she's really uh, adaptable to your lifestyle. And I think that's a pattern I've kind of seen with this type of dog. Yes, completely. So uh, whether positive or negative, how do other people react to your dog when you have your dog in public or uh, bring her into different situations? Yeah, I definitely think there's a mix between people's reactions. There's a lot of people that as they've gotten to know my dog or when they see her on the street, they get super, super excited and talk about how much mm -hmm. they love pitbulls and, you know, run right up to her and want to get right up petting her, giving her scratches and loving that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of response, but there also is some negative response. I mean, if I'm taking my dog for a walk or take her down to the dog beach or whatever, there'll be people that will literally cross the street so they don't have to walk on the same side of the sidewalk as my dog as mm -hmm. she's in her little pink collar and her tongue's hanging out and she looks yeah. like tail dragging. So um, I definitely think that there are those mixed reactions. I mean, I'll have people that, we take my dog to dog beach all the time. It's one of our favorite places. And mm -hmm. there are people that will like bring their dog away from my dog who is wow. completely non-aggressive and loves playing with other dogs. Um, but just because of what she looks like and the type of breed that she is, I mean, there's still that kind of perception on, you know, what her reactions will be. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely think there is a mix and there's a lot of people that the more they get to know her, the more they love the breed, but there are, are like also are those people that will still have those negative reactions. While Jenna told me about her current dog, Brian spoke about his dog that recently passed away. He loved him so much that he got a tattoo of his name and nose print. The artist even found a way to embed some of the dog's ashes into the tattoo. Yeah, when I said pit bull owners were passionate, I meant it. Could you please introduce yourself? 
So my name is Brian Jackson, and I live here in Oceanside, California with Dana, <laughs> and uh, I am a former Pitbull owner. Amazing. Thank you. So where did you originally get your Pitbull? Dozer came about from Meadville, Pennsylvania. He was on a farm. He was a puppy. I got him at eight weeks old, and I was fortunate enough to meet both of his parents, which were very friendly dogs, and then I met him, and as soon as he sat on my foot, I knew he was mine, and I brought him home. That's amazing. We love a love at first sight story. So when you were originally looking for your dog, did you have preferences about breed type? Were you specifically looking for a pit bull? So actually, yes, I was specifically looking for a pit bull. Um, I'd say the reason behind that is their personality. Uh, they're all different. They're very loyal dogs. Um, and it's just, they're, they're to me, the, one of the best companions that you can have mm-hmm. and take with you almost anywhere. They're very adaptive to what you do in your life. So yes, they will follow you and take after you and like how you live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you seem you seem to have a very positive perception of pit bulls right now, and be very passionate about that uh, that those types of breeds in particular, specifically the American Pit Bull Terrier, American Staffordshire. Um, but that's not always someone's perception their entire life. So, uh, what was your perception of pit bulls growing up, and has that changed over time? I've only loved them more. Over time. <laughs> um, to be quite honest with you, I've always been a dog person as a kid we've had Mm -hmm. different breeds of dogs you know rottweilers boxers um you know labs and stuff in around the house for the family and i was actually the first one to bring home a pit bull in my family Uh, my grandma said no (laughs) and the day i brought dozer home i opened the front door and she came outside and i just kind of handed him off like a little mini football that he was (laughs) And within about five minutes, she was sleeping on his chest. So following that, a few months later, uh, after everybody kind of peeking over the fence, realizing that Grandma hadn't murdered me yet, (laughs) um, our family had started to fill with pit bulls, like cousins, sisters. We have multiple pit bulls in Mm -hmm. the family on that side now. That's amazing. So your family really grew with more firsthand experience to kind of love this breed like you did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think... That is probably the main thing, is everybody sees what's posted on the media, and I mean, as we all know today, it's, you know, the news isn't always the positive way to get things, so me, I like hands-on, no matter what it is, whether it's my job or a hand, like a person, I want to be able to meet them and experience Mm -hmm. them and learn about them, since everybody and everything is different, and you spend, the more time you spend around a pit bull, the more that you will actually realize that they're more human than we are. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about getting your dog Dozer. Um, how would you describe your dog personality-wise? Um, yeah, just mainly personality-wise. Um, so Dozer, yes, Dozer was very human-like, and it was uh, almost unnatural sometimes in a, in a weird kind of way <laughs> yeah. sometimes. But uh, he, they're very intelligent. Um, like I said, unbelievably loyal. Uh, you couldn't lower that dog away from me with a stake. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's like fled for the hills for about 50 yards with another dog and legitimately turned around while the other dog kept running away and he came right back to the house. Like he's, <laughs> he was smart. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, off leash, they listen. Uh, they're very, uh, how do I say, maybe like command oriented. Like they'll listen to the tone of your voice uh, like 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, uh, 
yeah, it's quite an experience to actually grow with Dozer over the years and see how he has changed and adapted to, like I said, my lifestyle from, you know, living in an apartments to traveling around the country in a van and just, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy to watch. It's in, in similar ways, very human, like of how mm-hmm. he acted and, uh, always smiling, mm-hmm. always happy and always want to meet and greet people. So that's probably the biggest thing that I would say that might scare people is they're always, they got this big smile that's always showing their teeth, mm-hmm. but the tail's wagging and the tongue is out and they're more than happy to meet new people all of the time. Mm-hmm. So like I said before, it's just, they'll, they'll follow their owner's personality more than anything. I mm-hmm. think they learn from that, you know, and being born and raised in, you know, I had him in a dirt bike shop in different environments, always around kids and other dogs and everything. And I mean, he just wasn't scared of anything, but you, it's all in how the owner treats him. You know, I've had many friends that have pit bulls that, you know, don't take them outside so often. So yeah, they act like an animal mm-hmm. in public and it intimidates people. And of course, like I said it's just a big dog, you know, it's, it's not scarier than anything else with teeth at that matter. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. You talk about Dozer adjusting to your lifestyle. Uh, I remember when I talked to, I believe, Elsie from Passion for Pities. Uh, she talked about how people really look for dogs that fit their lifestyle sometimes rather than breeds. So it's interesting to see that kind of reciprocal effect where they can also adjust to their owner's lifestyle, um, especially dogs that seem to be, as you said, human-like and very uh, flexible and adjustable. Uh, So you talked about having Dozer interact uh, with different people and things like that. But on the other hand, how did other people commonly react to your dog? Were there mixed reactions? Did you generally have one kind of reaction? Uh, definitely mixed, but I'm going to lean way more on the positive side. Dozer mm-hmm. has changed people's hearts across the country for sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, not even pit bulls, just dogs in general that people are terrified of. You know, maybe it's a fear. Maybe they were, you know, bit when they were a child and just, it's just no-go territory, no dogs whatsoever, regardless of size or breed. And I mean, I've had people like just standing in line and dozer accidentally, like maybe I had too much slack in the leash and he'd walk up to him and bump them with mm-hmm. his nose and they turn around frightened. And you just kind of see this like emotional phase of frightened to like a joy in their eyes mm. of like, wow, he's not going like you look so friendly. And I, I mean, like I said, he's changed so many opinions across the country of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's been good. I've only had a few situations where people weren't uh, so friendly about it. And it, I mean, none of them were even negative enough to you know, have a a serious issue, you know, Mm -hmm. weren't like kicked out of anywhere or anything, but I'd say a solid 85% of the time Mm -hmm. he's changed people's point of view on dogs. And it started with my grandma and he was like, I'm, I'm very blessed to have Dozer. It's almost indescribable of how he is, but he was a, a soul that could change. Yeah. Pretty much anything. You could just look at him and totally feel his emotions. And like, you could feel his smile like I said, it was almost weird sometimes, but I think people actually felt that when they met him and took a lot of fear out of it. Like, like I said, working in like dirt bike shops in the auto industry, you have so many different customers come in. You have no idea if they like dogs or not. And 
turns out I've had so many people come up to me and say like, you know, I haven't pet a dog in 15 years. Mm -hmm. And this is just, you know, this is a life changing experience to know that like, I have maybe gotten over my fear. And to Mm -hmm. me, like, that was mine. Like, now that I think of it, that you're asking, it's like, emotionally mind-blowing to me that like I was grateful enough to have him in my life and feel that from him like I said he was just so special and you know mm-hmm. every dog is but uh, Dozer was different yeah <laughs> love fear and changing hearts Brian describes his pit bull in such a reverent way as if talking about his best friend because in a way his pit bull was his best friend Jenna and Brian's testimonies make you reflect on the history of breed trends, the highs and lows over the past 150 years in America. Did the owners of the Spitz, Dachshund, or German Shepherd share this deep connection with their dogs? Would they get an ash tattoo of their dog's nose print if they could? To have two extreme opinions dominate the conversation, love and fear, There has to be misinformation coming from somewhere. You can't have the story of the Spitz without the American doctors publishing about how dangerous and diseased they are. So in the case of the pit bull, we have to ask, are the doctors right or wrong? Is the fear of the breeds justified? What about bite cases and lockjaw? We'll look into the myths surrounding pit bulls next time on Pit Bulls Unleashed. Pitbulls Unleashed is created, produced, and hosted by Dana Adcock. Thank you to the Keenan Institute for Ethics for funding this project through the Ethics in Place Summer Fellowship. Thank you to Duke University. Thank you to Elise Bird from Passion for Pities, Jenna Chandler, Robert Hensley from the ASPCA, Brian Jackson, Nina Thompson from the San Diego Humane Society, and Lindsay Winkley from the San Diego Union Tribune for taking the time for an interview, and also Maureen Lenahan from the ASPCA. Sources for this series include the interviews above, Pitbull Battle Over an American Icon by Brownwyn Dickey, Inconsistent Identification of Pitbull-Type Dogs by Shelter Staff by K.R. Olson et al., Pitbull Bans in the Human Factors Affecting Canine Behavior by Jamie Medlin. Dog Shootings Race Call for Police Training by Lindsay Winkley. Pet Ownership Laws from San Diego County Animal Services. Pitbull's Injure Woman Kills Her Dog Near SDSU by Lindsay Winkley. Resident Feels Forced to Move Over Pitbull's Now Advocates for the Breed by Tawny McRae and Personal Experience. Special thank you to Doug and Margie Adcock for their continued support.